You don't have to stand when we're reading it, but um, it's, uh, I mean, there's all different ways. We, we actually should probably bow down when we're reading it. We don't bow to the Bible, but um, part of the reason we stand is we remember we have actually God speaking to us through, through Matthew, and, um, and so we want to submit ourselves to God's, God's true and his living word as we hear it. So hear God's word. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You may be seated. So we're returning to um, our exposition of Matthew. Um, we'll take a few breaks along the way. Um, actually, next week I'm going to be up in Seattle for a few days. Um, my former pastor and some former elders, they're all scattered around. Um, we're getting together for kind of a day to share our stories and kind of catch up with each other and pray for each other. So I'll be up there. Dave Drum will be teaching um, on a separate subject next weekend, and then we'll both step out for Mother's Day and Father's Day as well, um, so that I don't get fired, and we'll talk about Mother's Day and Father's Day for those things. Uh, besides that, from now and through, uh, through July, we will be in Matthew chapters 11 through 13, um, this, this new section um, out of Matthew. So today what I want to do is um, review a little bit um, from Matthew. So if you've been here for a while, this should all be familiar. But I want to make sure we understand again, where, what's this book set up? What does it look like? Where does this section fit in? And why is it here um, for its purpose? And then I'm just going to walk us through these first six verses and exactly what is taking place here um, with this story about John the Baptist. So if you remember, Matthew's written primarily to Jewish believers, the early church. We said it was a, uh, a teaching book. So Matthew has taken the story of Jesus and all the things and he's arranged it in a way that they could learn well about him and what he came, came to do. It was to establish that Jesus was the expected Messiah, which is why we have all these prophecies, particularly in the beginning. And then to show the nature of the kingdom of God. So right in the beginning, John the Baptist comes preaching the kingdom. Jesus comes preaching the kingdom. What is the nature of the kingdom? And what does it look like to be in it? And, and what's our, how, how can we look down the road to see what God is doing in the midst of that? What's our part in it? Um, it's structured and arranged, as I said, as a teaching tool. Um, its in, layout is intentional and purposeful. So one of the questions to ask when you're working through Matthew is going, why is this here, right here in this spot? Is there, is there a reason for it? He's not haphazard about the things that he does. Like any good book, there's an introduction and a conclusion. So, Mike, you can put the next one up with the, uh, the slides with the structure of the next one. Um, that one. There's a, it's, a, it's got a beginning, the, the birth narrative, the first four chapters, and then the closing part of the book, which is the conclusion, is death and resurrection, 26 through 28. In between that, we have these five key sections of Matthew. Interesting, in the, in the first, um, very beginning, the birth narratives, he really kind of lays out um, lots of parallels between Israelite, the, the old community of the Old Testament, and the new community that God is bringing, that Jesus is almost like the new, new Moses. There's all sorts of parallels between that. Many people think that the five sections in between actually parallel the five books, the five first books of the Old Testament. 
But they're um, each, there's five sections. Each one has a narrative section, just here's what Jesus did. And then it ends with a discourse, some kind of instruction that Jesus gives. And we are in the third one. So we already covered um, the Sermon on the Mount section with Jesus um, going out ministering. And then he talks about the nature of the kingdom. What do people in the kingdom look like? It's this upside down kingdom, this unexpected thing. Every time he said something, it was something people didn't expect him to say. It looks different than what we thought. And the people in it are different than the people that we thought would be in it. And then the second section, which we just finished a little while ago, uh, Jesus uh, says, if this is what people of the kingdom look like, now I'm going to go out and I'm going to show you what it looks like. I will demonstrate for you what it looks like to go out. And so he begins to, there's a, I believe there's nine stories of healing where Jesus um, in three different sections, and he goes out and he interacts with the kingdom with all these different people and impact on their lives for that. And then he sends, uh, he has this missionary sermon, the discourse of the second section. He says, now I'm going to send you out. I just went out. I, t- I brought it to these people. Here's what it looked like, and now I'm going to send you out. And he, he kind of warns them. It's, it's going to go, this is what's going to happen. Not all of it's going to go well. It's not always going to be received. And actually, towards the end of that last section we did, we started seeing that not everybody's going to respond well to the kingdom. There's different responses to it. And that's where it brings us up to our third section here, which we're going to have a couple of chapters of discourse. Um, basically, Jesus is going to go out, and we're going to see how do people respond to Jesus. So he said people are not going to respond well. Some will, some won't. Now we're going to see at least two chapters. We are going to see examples of how people respond. Some will receive it. Some will doubt it. Some will be apathetic about it. Some will just be like the, the seed on the rock. It just gets in a little ways and it goes away. Other people were, are going to um, uh, aggressively oppose it. And so we're going to see those, those stories. So the next two chapters, 11 and 12, that's what we're going to see. Jesus um, going out and how people respond to it. And then chapter 13, the parables, they are just illustrations of what we'll have just seen. So we're going to see how people respond to the gospel. And then the parables will then say, if you, didn't, if you missed it the first time around, let me do it in a different way. Let me tell you about it with a little story. And so those stories are going to illustrate the different responses to the kingdom as he takes on this, this next section here. So the kingdom is here. We've discovered that it comes in an unexpected fashion to those that you wouldn't expect. He's told us what people of the kingdom are supposed to look like. He's given us a role in taking the kingdom out. Um, and here's what it's going to do in people's lives. We have the chart. It should be familiar by now. We've, we've been through this a few times. I'm not doing the whole thing, but if you remember, uh, we talked about the fact that when God first created heavens and earth, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth were one. Sin separated those two kingdoms apart, and God, rather than just letting it be that way and say, oh, well, God just says, I need to bring that back together again. So he wants to intersect those two kingdoms again. It was originally done in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Then Jesus, God himself, carries it right into our midst, and Jesus becomes the intersecting point bringing the kingdom. When the Holy Spirit takes residence in us, that's what those little crosses are out there, we take the kingdom out with us in all the places we go. And we saw a transformation that, whereas before in the Old Testament, when you were, if you were pure but you touched something unholy, you became unholy. When Jesus comes along, he goes out and he's touching people, intersecting lives, and rather than him becoming unclean, he's making other people clean. And now he's sending us out to do the same thing. But the truth is, not everybody's going to respond to the kingdom. Not everybody's going to. 
I didn't do it, Jackson. I didn't. <laughs> um, not everybody's going to respond. The kingdom is not going to touch every person the same way in response, and that's what we're going to be looking at as we go out. So as we go out, we carry the kingdom. And as we go out, Jesus wants them to know what to expect. So as I said, chapters 11 through 13 are going to show us what our job is and how people respond. So we are not surprised by it. We're not expecting it. As a matter of fact, our job is to carry the kingdom. It's God's job to, to penetrate people's hearts with it. And so he wants us to understand that. And so we go into this next, into chapter 11 here, and it's interesting that it begins with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has a response to the kingdom. Um, he had a response in the beginning, he preached it, but there's a response here. As he begins to see Jesus go out, John the Baptist himself has one of those responses um, we want to look at um, as we move through that. It says here in verse 1, it says, When Jesus, and you can just bring up the verses, Mike, I think his next section, you just leave that up there for a bit. Um, it says, when Jesus had finished instructing, um, which is verse 1, which I don't have up there, that's like the, uh, the transition point for the new section. As a matter of fact, we saw that back in chapter 7. There's, it says, now, when Jesus finished this, we go to the new section. That's where we're getting to um, right here. Um, and John the Baptist is at the very center of this story. And then actually, the remaining verse after the section, Jesus is going to continue talking about John the Baptist. Um, and it's kind of a central point as he gets started at, at this. Interesting that the next section, which begins with chapter 14, it begins with the death of John the Baptist. So um, he kind of becomes bookends for this whole section as, as Matthew walks us through it. So I want to um, take a look at this story first. I just want to walk through a couple of pieces and just make sure we understand what's happening here. Then I'm going to go back and go, so what is this? What's going on here with John? What, what is happening with this guy um, in terms of this story? So you saw it, it says here that um, they heard, uh, when John heard in prison, we, we discovered John had been thrown in prison. We know back, back in the story that um, he came first as a forerunner, remember? And he begins to, um, at, 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 as early as an age 12, we think, he might have already been out in the wilderness. So it wasn't like he waited till he was 30. Um, he might have, as a 12-year-old, been out in the wilderness already. And he has this huge chunk of his life is just preparation. He's, he's obscure. Nobody knows who this guy is. Suddenly, he, he comes, flashes on the scene. He's, he's baptizing people. He's preaching. And there's just this um, huge impact around in the nation. Everybody notices him. Um, interesting, his, his time of ministry is like this. It's a tiny little sliver. And then he's gone. Um, and because he's preaching against Herod and, and the things that he was doing, he's thrown in prison. He, he, t he points to Jesus, and then he's out of the picture. And so we discover here that John has been thrown into prison and has been sitting there wondering what, what next. We know the story. We'll, we'll get more of the story later, but um, it doesn't end well for him. And he's just sitting in prison, um, waiting, seeing what's going to happen. Um, remember, he's called as a forerunner. Um, he, he, he knows who Jesus is. He points to him. Remember, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he sends his own, some of his disciples, Go follow that guy. That's the one to follow. He's at the baptism. He heard the Father affirm Jesus as his son. And he's turned everything over now to Jesus. He's done exactly what he's supposed to have done. Turned it over and stepped back. And he disappears from view. And now he's sitting in prison. It's an interesting picture. If you try to put yourself in his shoes, what was that like? Um, 
and we don't have any indication. Nobody's come visited him. His disciples have brought him food because that's the only way to get food there, but he's just in prison, and he's sitting. And when you're sitting in prison, you just sit there and do what? I, I haven't been there. Um, well, one night, um, a long time ago, never mind. Um, <laughs> my dad left me there to teach me a lesson. Um, but he's sitting there on and on and on, and you're just sitting. There's nothing to do. He's just sitting, and those getting weighed down. So he's sitting there. And he hears about what Jesus is doing. So what does he hear Jesus is doing? He's healing people, bringing sight to the blind, raising people from the dead. Um, the lame are walking. The gospel is getting preached. He's also hearing Jesus eating a lot with the sinners, having lots of parties, it seems, you know. Um, remember that his disciples, John's disciples were kind of, why do we fast and your disciples don't fast? What's with that? You know, I'd rather be on the non-fasting group. Sounds like a better, better thing. And John's hearing that as well. Um, and for some reason, as he begins to hear, and these have been incredible things Jesus is doing. But he hears these incredible things Jesus is doing, and he begins to wonder. He begins to wonder. Something is going on in him that's causing him to go, I'm not so sure what's happening. I'm not sure that this is what I was expecting. And so it says here that he sent word by his disciples, um, and he goes to Jesus, and he has a question for him. Are you the one that I thought, and you can put that in parentheses, that I, I thought, I pointed everybody to you. I said, I told everybody, you're the one. I'm in prison because of that, actually. But, or am I still waiting for somebody else? That's his question. Are you the one, or are we looking for another? In other words, um, did we get it wrong? He might even be thinking, has my entire ministry and life been a lie? Have I missed it? And now it's gone. And this is the end, and it came to nothing. And then Jesus answers him, it says here. So Jesus answered these disciples, and you would hope Jesus would say something like, yes, I'm the one. As a matter of fact, here's what it is, and he starts rattling off the stuff. He says, you don't worry about it all, John. And, and actually, John, here's the whole plan. I know what I'm doing now is looks a little different. Here's what I am going to do down the road, and would lay it all out. That's what we would want to hear him say, right? He doesn't. He doesn't do that. He says to him, <laughs> go and tell John what you see and hear. Interesting, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, it, there, it says that Jesus, all of a sudden, at that very moment, began to... Um, heal people that are blind and the, and the lame are walking and he's preaching good news and he was doing all these miracles and all these things. So Jesus says, go and tell them. Tell them what you see. And what did they see? The blind receiving their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of the good news preached to him. Interesting things. That's what John already heard. John had already, that's, that, that prompted his question in the first place. So it's like you ask a question, you, you've, you've heard an answer and so you ask a question, you get the same answer back, you're like, that didn't help me. It doesn't help me. And that's, but that's what Jesus says. He says, tell him what you see. And he sends him, sends him back. And Jesus just tells him more of the same thing. And then he ends with this kind of unusual statement. He says, then blessed is the one who is not offended or who does not fall away um, because of me. And we'll look at that in a moment. But either that's, I'm not sure what to make of that. Is Either it's a really negative one, like, John, you're about you're, you're offended by me, don't be. Or whether it's actually a statement of encouragement to him to keep going. We'll look at that in a moment. So what, what are we seeing here? What is going on here? And I'd like to share uh, three things here. Um, the first one, 
is Jesus, and we've already seen this, Jesus does the unexpected. Jesus does the unexpected. We need to ask the question as to why was John confused? Why was he wondering? We've just been reading, we've been going through these chapters, and we're like, this is great. Look what he's doing. And yet John is wondering, he's confused. He's wondering if he'd gotten it all wrong. Um, is it just because he's sitting in jail and he's discouraged and he's down? That's probably part of it. Um, it weighs on him. But it seems to be um, something much deeper than that. As stated earlier, John had been absolutely definitive and clear in his declaration that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, and he heard it, even had things that showed it was true for him. And he was pointing people to him. But its placement in the text here, I think, can help us see it. So it says here that um, we know that um, Jesus went out in the, in the passage that we looked at previously a long time ago. And then remember, we said that Jesus goes out, and then he says that he, he sends us out. And so Jesus sends us out as well. He sends the disciples out. And in the section earlier in the, first, the last discourse, um, he warns them about how they will be received. Apathy, there's doubt, there's confusion, there's reception, there's opposition. And as I said, 11 and 12 are going to give examples and parables to illustrate the responses. And so how people respond is what this is about. So Matthew places this here to go, here's one response. Um, and it's John the Baptist. And everybody would have been shocked by that. That's not the one we would expect not to have a good response. We would think when he's John the Baptist, that's the one who got it. But he, Matthew said, chooses this story with John the Baptist. It's this one response is coming from a person that no one would expect. That's an encouragement to me because we can all struggle with responses. Um, and here John the Baptist, who, by the way, in the, the verses following this, Jesus just goes on about how great he is. And yet he's the one who has this response that is a bit unexpected. He's the bi biggest advocate for Jesus, and yet he's wrestling with what he's seeing and hearing. The question again is why? Why? Should not the signs that Jesus gave show that he was Messiah? I was just going to read these. Um, Isaiah 61, verse 1. Remember Jesus being started his ministry? He read, a, he read a passage, and he said, this is all me. Um, it was Isaiah 61, 1. He says, I'm called to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. John knew that. That's what Jesus was doing. Isaiah 29, verse 18 says that the, the deaf will hear the meek will obtain joy. Their mouths will be loose. That's what Jesus is doing. By the way, Isaiah was, these passages were right on the lips of the people because they're all messianic passages. Isaiah 35, beginning with verse 5 and following, it says, The blind will see, the lame will walk, the mute will begin to sing. Isaiah 42, verse 7 says, The blind will see. Over and over again in Isaiah, it's all these things that identify exactly what Jesus was doing. So you're going, he should see it. He should know it. This, Jesus is doing exactly what it said he would be doing. But John, like most in Israel, um, even knowing those verses, um, they had focused on a different part of the verse. You ever take a verse and you like, like one part of it, but you don't really care for the other part of it? So you grab the one, but not the other part. And over the course of time, they had become so focused on one part and they ignored part. As a matter of fact, they had taken little verses and, and only looked at the first phrase and had forgotten about the second phrase. So you can go back to Isaiah 42. It says this in the same chapter I just read from. It says that the Messiah will be mighty against his foes. 
he will go out like a man of war. In Isaiah 29, in close proximity, talking about the blind seeing, it says that the Lord will come with thunder, you know, come with an earthquake. It's different. Isaiah 35 says that when he comes, they will see the glory of the Lord, and he will come upon them with a vengeance. And in Isaiah 61, right after the section that Jesus reads that's about doing all these things blind, he says, he will proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. Um, and recall John's statement. Remember when they asked him if he's the Messiah, and he says, I'm not the one. I came to baptize with water, but there's one coming. He's going to do what? Baptize with fire, he says. Um, a little different. He will baptize you with the spirit and with fire. It says he'll clear the threshing floor. He'll gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. The one who is coming is mightier than I. John the Baptist, by the way, was loud and powerful and, and uh, a strong personality. Jesus comes like a lamb in, in many cases here differently. So what did John expect? He, he was waiting for him to bring it. He was waiting for the Messiah to show up and, and finally bring it. Um, like the rest of the nation, looking for a conquering hero, looking for judgment over sin, looking for him to set things right, those, those straight paths that the forerunner was supposed to make. Now Jesus is going to come and lay down the highway and bring an end to it. He was, that's what he was looking for. He's like, I prepared the way, and I'm expecting it, it to come down. And what does he hear? The blind are getting sight, all these good things, and he forgot. All he, he was just focused on, as many of the people were, on these other parts. John was not incorrect. He had just taken hold of part of the picture. A work of the Messiah that is actually still to come. We were waiting for that. Um, I think he had the idea at first because he said, remember he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He got that. Somewhere along the line, he, got, he, he didn't know what that meant. What was that going to look like? Um, he was expecting something different. He failed to see that Jesus would first come as a healing shepherd and a sacrificial lamb before he would come as a conquering king. Interesting, Jesus knew all those questions would come because Isaiah 53, you know what it says in the very beginning of it? First, first line of Isaiah 53 talking about the suffering Savior says, who would believe our report? Who has believed our report? Because the way he comes is not what's expected. Everyone would go, that is not how it happens. That's not the way it's taken care of. So they would be easy to neglect those parts. It says he was despised and rejected. It says the people would not esteem him. They expected one thing, this conquering hero, this one who was going to bring judgment and fire and change everything, and they got something else. They got something else. Matthew 11, verse 20 and following, it says that Jesus' action, we'll get to those verses, they're hard ones, in a few weeks, but it says that Jesus rebuked the cities where he did great works because they didn't believe. And I'm not sure, why didn't they believe when they saw these things happening? And perhaps it's because they expected something and it didn't happen. We can be so filled with our thoughts about what we think should happen and how it's supposed to go. When God moves in a different way, we just miss it. It just goes right on past us. We never even see it. John was wondering, where is the conqueror? Where is the fire? I think you can bring it, Jesus, but it wasn't coming. He came in an unexpected fashion, and I actually think perhaps, and we're, we're trying to think into his heart and mind, I think he was disappointed. 
maybe disappointing. I, I was just, I've been waiting for this. As a matter of fact, I'm suffering, but it's okay because I know what's coming, and it didn't come, and he's like, oh, what's going on? And the disappointment actually begins to cause him to doubt and to become confused and not even sure that he's got it right. It's not going as he expected, and he begins to wonder. We often struggle, I think, um, because Jesus doesn't do what we expect him to do. Even today, as we look at our world, we're going, you know, God should really be doing this. Or maybe even we've read stuff and we've, we've gotten a, a vision for something, but it's not quite happening. He doesn't come through in the ways that we thought he should. We're going along with the Lord, and we know he's going to go right, and so we go right, and he goes left. Like, what was that? And it doesn't make any sense. And it seems like he's, like, this seems like the right thing. This, he's, his, his hand stamps are on this path here, and he goes down this path. And so we struggle, like I think John did. We're disappointed. We're discouraged. We can grumble about it. We can struggle with our doubts. Because Jesus does things that are sometimes unexpected. Um, I, um, I was supposed to go to the pastor's prayer thing this, this coming week, um, and so, but I'm going to Chicago instead. Uh, I, have a, I have two older brothers, they're both physicians, but my brother Chuck has been uh, about three and a half years ago, it's been a full three and a half years now, had his medical license suspended and was accused of a bunch of different crimes and association, associated with his practice, um, which I don't think he's guilty of that at all. In addition to that, he was um, indicted for Medicare, medic, what do you call it, um, uh, fraud, Medicare fraud. Um, and so it's been three and a half years, and it's gone, it's just, it's just dragged. And in the meantime, um, they have lost everything. Um, they have nothing. Um, his, his reputation is completely gone. I mean, it's been in front page of the Chicago Tribune. He's not going to practice again. And, uh, but, and he was on house arrest for like almost two years. He had to stay at home. Um, and uh, he's sitting in jail right now, today. Um, about two weeks ago, he got put in jail. Um, his sentencing is happening on Thursday morning for the Medicare, the fraud part of it. Um, and it's interesting, through that, he kept thinking, I, this is what God's doing. This is what he's trying to show me. He kept saying, Chris, I just got to figure out what God wants me to learn because I don't want to do this again. And, and up and down, but for the most part, kind of, okay, I'm just tracking. What's God doing here? What's he doing? Um, and as of just a, a four or five weeks ago, um, as we're coming towards the sentencing portion um, from everybody, including even the prosecutors, they were expecting that he'd probably just be going home and it'd be a small fine and this portion would be done. And there was a sense like, okay, God has stepped in and this is finally going to, there's going to be some vindication here. And um, just, just a couple days before Palm Sunday, they got the little brief from the judge that says, here's kind of what to expect. And they're, they're telling them that it's probably 8 to 10 years in a federal prison that he might get on Thursday morning, short of a miracle. Um, and um, I was thinking of John the Baptist here. I was thinking of this story. And for the first time, um, he's despondent. And there's a sense of, what is going on? Um, I, I knew there was going to be a, a light at the end of this tunnel. Somewhere along the line, something's going to happen. Um, and instead, uh, we don't know for sure, but it's likely that the path that God is moving him on is not the path that we would expect. And there's disappointment, and there's confusion, and there's grumbling um, about those things. 
Second of all, not only is Jesus acting unexpe- unexpected ways, but I don't know how to put this. The unexpected path, by the way, this sounds pretty obvious, is the right path. Um, I'd like to say it's, it's a better way, but that's kind of making it seem rosy, but it's not always the rosy path, but it's the, it's the right path. So go on a little bit more. Jesus answers um, John's disciples by doing more of the same, doesn't he? We see, and if you go to Luke chapter 7, you can turn there. Um, he actually shows John's disciples with their own eyes his acts of, of miracles. He begins doing a bunch of different stuff. Um, while they're, and, and they see Jesus do all these things, and I'm sure they were watching as they're, they're looking for Jesus' answers, and he's doing all these miracles. They're probably thinking, this is incredible. That's probably what they're thinking, John's disciples. Like, this is amazing. They're seeing it with their own, hand, their own eyes. This has to be the Messiah, they must have wondered. And then Jesus at that point says, now go tell Jesus, go tell John, go tell John what you just saw. And they go back believing to tell John what they had seen. And at this point, I'm speculating a little bit, um, but how might this have impacted John? John says, here's all the stuff I saw, and I'm wondering about you. And now my disciples come back, and they tell me the same stuff. What's, number seven tells you something twice. You're supposed to think about it, right? It's like, okay, I just, I just told Jesus I've seen all this stuff, and now he's answering by telling me to look at the same things again. So maybe John thought, what am I missing? What am I missing here? Why is he telling me it again? And John knew the Old Testament. He knew Isaiah, these passages well. Perhaps, um, perhaps he made the connection and began to think about those passages again. Oh, yeah. He did say he'd get the blind, and he'd raise the dead, and he'd make the lame walk. And uh, the mute would shout, and the deaf would hear. And that's right, it wasn't all those passages. Just forgot about it. Um, maybe he thought, oh, yeah, that's, he was supposed to do all those things. And then he's going to do these other things, too. They're both true. And if he's doing this, and that's in the Word, and I know he's going to do this as well at some point. He breaks into the world in power, maybe he discovered. But he also understands that Jesus came in the Isaiah passage as a bruised reed. And maybe then he began to speculate about the other parts of Isaiah as well. Isaiah 53, and all the things about the suffering servant there, that he himself bore our griefs, that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was led like a lamb for the slaughter. Maybe John goes, the lamb, that's right. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is what he said in the very beginning. That's right, and the lamb goes to slaughter. And Isaiah 53 says the lamb's going to be silent. And the lamb is going to submit himself and not be this conquering king. And perhaps those things began to resonate in John's heart. What matters more than fire and judgment in a nation? Well, what matters more is salvation and rescue and atonement. Remember our, our other section we looked at, that there's something worse. There's something, getting rid of suffering is not our, main, our biggest issue. Getting rid of sin is the bigger issue. Suffering is not a good thing, but it's a secondary thing. The sin is the main problem. And so maybe John all of a sudden discovered this is the path to deal with the real problem. And our suffering in our nation, my own suffering, the things that are going wrong, the things I'm hoping for, the judgment I want to see, all that stuff I want to see it happen, but guess what? It's not the main thing. The main thing is what the Lamb does. And perhaps he saw that and understood that this unexpected path was actually the only path that could happen. The only, that Jesus came to take care of the greater need um, the only really necessary thing was to bring an end to sin. 
And that was something far better than any expectation um, that you have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like I said, I'm guessing about that. Um, but John sitting in the cell knowing the Old Testament, I'm going to guess what's going on with that. What's going on with that? And maybe he made those connections. So Jesus shows up in unexpected ways. The unexpected ways are always the better way. Not necessarily the least painful way, but they are the better way. And then lastly, God encourages us along that way. Interesting, this last statement he makes here um, when he says, blessed is the one who is not offended, does not fall away on account of me. And it could be a little negative like, John, stop it. But I think it was an encouragement, actually. I think he was trying to actually say, hang on, John. Hang on while you're there. Don't give up hope. Keep looking to me. Don't lose heart. And even, even the next section, we discover that Jesus says, John did well. He did exactly what he was called to do. And maybe it's an encouragement saying, John, you'll be blessed if you just hang in there. Hang in there with me. Um, I won't disappoint you. By the way, we want to resolve um, disappointment with, um, I mean, John could think like God's saying to him, I won't disappoint you. Well, then let me out of prison, right? That's God works all things together for good to those who love God and call the corner to break. So we want to put a nice ending on these things sometimes because um, that verse is true, um, but it doesn't always work that way either. As a matter of fact, John gets beheaded. He stays in prison and he gets beheaded. And sometimes the way we're not, God doesn't disappoint as he comes through, and it may just, John doesn't get the blessing that Jesus promised until he's standing before the face of God. He doesn't get it before then, and that is sometimes the case. That's when it becomes clear for him, only after he died. But the Lord, I think, still says in this statement, trust me, hang on to me, stay with me on this. I won't disappoint you, and I'll be on the path with you as you walk down. I think he's saying to some of us, I know what you expected. I know it's hard. And he says, stay with me. I won't disappoint you. I won't fail you. And what do we do um, at those kinds of times? Some of you have them now, but we all have them at some point. What do we do in those kinds of times? And my answer is I have no idea what we do at those kinds of times. Other than that, we do what John did. Interesting, what did John do? He sent guys to Jesus. He, he went to Jesus. That's what he did. And he got an answer back. And that's what we can do. We, we don't know what to do, but like John, we know where to go, to whom we go to. Go ahead and close your eyes just for a moment. Um, there may be, you may be ex experiencing some disappointment or questions or wondering, or you may know of somebody who's that place, but um, like I said, I don't know what we're supposed to do, but I do know that who we're supposed to go to, and it's the Lord. So I would encourage you to just take a moment. If there's something going on with that, um, some doubts and questions and confusion, disappointment, um, like John, we can take that and we can go to Jesus with him. So just take a moment and on your own behalf or on behalf of somebody else, um, just, just put him at his feet. Just give him to him.
Lord, I thank you that you understand our hearts that often struggle. I thank you that you know our frame. That um, as we looked at just on Palm Sunday, that um, any suffering that we go through, you have already known it. And you suffer with us. Thank you for the promise that you won't disappoint. And that as we walk down whatever paths you bring us, um, we don't walk those paths uh, apart from you. Lord, as, as we would always do, we, we would pray for um, good things to come. And yet ultimately, more than anything else, we just want to be more like you. And we want you to shape us and um, give us courage and strength and faith to walk the paths that you have aligned and chosen for each of us. And in so doing, Lord, make a difference in the world as people see that. Increase our faith. Give us glimpses of your goodness. And thank you that we can, um, we can just bring it out to you um, openly. And you receive us in Jesus' name. Janice, if you could bring the uh, worship team up. Interesting, as we think about the communion table, um, I was thinking about the story from the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They have a similar experience. Um, Jesus died, and he comes alongside them, and they're walking, and they're talking about it. And they have those words that say, we were hoping that he was this one. And there's disappointment. Um, there's wondering, Jesus has taken a path that they did not expect, and they're like, what is happening here? Um, and they're confused. Um, they have unmet expectations, and there's great disappointment after the cross. And yet, um, Jesus was standing right there with them, and he was bringing them something that was better than they ever expected. And as he begins to minister the word to them, and he breaks the bread with them, and their hearts are burning all of a sudden they see this big picture. They see the, the scope of Scripture and what Jesus was doing all along. And it's like, they're like, good grief. This is incredible, absolutely incredible. And they see this great and glorious picture. He says to him, don't you see it had to happen this way? Interesting, even when we look ahead to Revelation, you see it in the throne room, it says, uh, John says, I, see, I saw a king, he looked like a lamb, as if slain, and he's in the throne room um, as they worship him. And so we gather around this table as we do every week um, with Jesus as our host um, and this one who has brought this better way for us, um, instructs us, invites us, and welcomes us to come to remember and to give thanks. And he gives us a reminder that he walks with us. So let me pray for the bread and cup. And then as as we're singing, I encourage you to um, gather together. Lord, give us a fresh wonder at the glory of salvation. The incredible work that pulled us from darkness and put us in the light. That has made us new people and given us a new identity and taken away a heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. That you have restored us to um, your heart's intention for us as you reshape your image afresh in us. I thank you that you went to the cross, that you followed it all the way to the very end on our behalf. And as we come around the table, Lord, we just want to express our thanks 
for your goodness, for your love, and for your faithfulness. Amen.